Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Optimal Bio Podcast. Uh, today, uh, we want to introduce you to our new doctor, Dr. Christina Beauvais, um, former owner of Blue Ridge Heart and Wellness in Charlottesville, Virginia. And in case you haven't heard, uh, Optimal Bio and Blue Ridge Heart and Wealth Wellness have come together. Uh, we now have a fifth office uh, in our portfolio of uh patient centers. And we wanted to introduce you to our new doctor today. So Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be part of the team. So why don't we just get started? Can you uh, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, walk us through your background, and um, we'll okay. take it from there. So um, I grew up in Pennsylvania in the suburbs outside Philadelphia. Um, I've been gone longer than I've been back there. So I don't consider that my home anymore. <laughs> So really my home at this point is Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, I went to college and uh, medical school in Rochester, New York and upstate New York. Um, it was definitely too cold there for me. Um, I'm, I'm a warm weather person. So I ended up um, doing my medical training at Yale, which was also cold, <laughs> and then ended up down at the University of Virginia for my cardiology training. Um, I, uh, and have lived there pretty much ever since. Um, I briefly when I left my fellowship, um, moved to back to Pennsylvania to be closer to family. Um, I had a, a, a young family at that time and thought I'd want to be closer to home. Um, and my training, I had actually some specialized training in um, uh, cardiovascular imaging. But back then, you know, 20 plus years ago, that was very brand new. I was one of the first fellowship trained. Um, I did extra research and training in cardiovascular MRI and CT. So I initially went out and joined a huge, you know, private practice group in Pennsylvania for a year, um, year and a half, and realized that we missed Charlottesville um, being in a smaller community and also just didn't like that practice style. So I ended up back in um, Charlottesville opening my own practice. Um, and um, that's where I raised my family. I have three um, children, um, eight, almost 18, 20, and 22, and a wonderful husband. Sounds great. So you obviously are a trained cardiologist and uh, tell us a little bit about your past cardiology practice and, and then when you made that transition over to more of a functional wellness practice. So um, as I mentioned, you know, I started off actually in a really large 25 person cardiology practice. Um, and, you know, I was the only woman. Um, <laughs> And it was what I would call corporate medicine. Like they were great. It was a great practice. I loved them all. They, they were great cardiologists. Um, but I quickly found out that um, I really, for the same reason I wanted to private practice was the same reason I realized that I didn't like that practice style is that I wanted to spend time with patients. Um, and that just didn't allow that. It was, it was kind of just a factory. Um, you know, I felt like we were, you know, working to pay the bills and, um, you know, they, they did very well. They made a lot of money, but I realized very quickly that um, that wasn't a big goal of mine was to, it wasn't all about the money, um, you know, I, and they worked hard and I, I was willing to work hard, but I also wanted to raise my family and um, saw that, you know, they worked, it was kind of a team effort, which I liked, um, but I wasn't willing to sacrifice, you know, my family for that. You know, pretty much all the guys in the practice had been divorced um, and I was, you know, the only one still married to their original spouse and, um, and you didn't, I didn't get to see my kids. They were young at the time. And, 
you know, at the end of the day, you know, we would, we'd have rotations. We were at three hospitals. I was seeing, you know, 30, 50 patients in the hospital. I had a nurse rounding with me and literally she would, you know, she'd hand me stuff and I'd sign it. And it, that's how rounds went. She had already pre-rounded, you know, written my notes for me, <laughs> literally. And, um, and she just, you know, walked me in the room. I'd sign off on it. I wouldn't talk to patients. Um, and that was her role. She'd tell me is, you know, that, you know, I'll come back and talk to the family about X, Y, or Z. And you just, you know, go here, go there. As long as you're billing, you're, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> and so I, I realized that that's not how I want to spend my career. I like, I like spending time with patients. That's why I chose private practice. Um, and so I ended up um, uh, opening my own practice back in Charlottesville. So the hospital needed cardiologists. They wanted a woman that was interested in preventative cardiology. And so they recruited, recruited me to come back and start my own business. So you just described, uh, unfortunately, what the healthcare system looks like today. And is why is that? Is it just simply driven because of insurance? Is it driven because of just so much patients and so little doctors? I mean, if you had to put your finger on it, what is it? I think it's in, it's driven mostly by insurance. I mean, I, I really think that, you know, everything was about um, making the most income we could make. And, you know, and, and it was to the point where I, I felt like it was unethical um, and I would get irritated. My, my husband at the time, who I'm no longer with, was in a large, like literally 50 person um, internist group um, there. And we would get, and it was funny because we'd laugh about it at home. Um, but we would, in the hospital, we'd get all these consults and the reason would be consult, you know, cardiology, it would say the reason was history of whatever, history of CAD, history of whatever, but they were there for, you know, UTI. And I, and I'd be like, you know, I'd have 30 consults to see and I'd ask and I'd be like, well, why do we have to do this? And, you know, they, and they kind of would um, not want to be questioned and, you know, be like, well, you know, it pays the bills basically was their answer. And it was, you know, the infectious disease guy and the pulmonary guy and every patient got like six consults. And from an internist standpoint, it's funny because my husband would say he was an internist and he's, he would um, come on service and he would DC all the consults. He's like, I don't need a cardiologist. I don't need a, you know, an infectious disease person to treat a UTI. I don't need a endocrinologist just because they have diabetes. Um, for, you know, three-day hospital stay. And he, he would get in trouble because he was supposed to consult all those services because it was just kind of, we were just churning the wheel, I felt like. And that's the system is that, you know, we build insurance companies pay, the hospital makes money, the doctors make money, and it's just kind of a vicious cycle. So you go into your own practice and you said you wanted to spend more time with patients. Uh, what, what does that mean? Or do you, do you, you know, is it a time frame thing or is it more of a just getting to know the patient and understanding them and what they're I think it's both. I mean, I think it's knowing what it's talking to patients. I think um, the big thing is talking to patients, understanding what their goals are. Um, and then um, to really, I think, take good care of patients, you have to, um, education is a big part of it. And you can't educate if you're not spending time with patients, you know, and so many, you know, a lot of patients, unfortunately, are trained to want a pill for everything but that's not treating disease, it's just treating symptoms. And so if you really wanna reverse disease, you need to engage the patient and you can't do that by just going in out of the room and writing a prescription for you know, high cholesterol and blood pressure. So it's, it's about kind of getting to the underlying cause, which is kind of how I transitioned my practice because of that. Yeah, it seems like, uh, and I have a couple of friends that are 
you know, gone through, um, they go to the doctor or their GP, they get tested, their cholesterol's, you know, let's say their, their ages are in their 50s and their cholesterol's at 250, but that HDL number isn't exactly what it should be. And, you know, bang, they want to you know, either refer them to a cardiologist or they want to put them on statins right away. And, uh, you know, I, I know we're going to go in, in deeper with Dr. Brandon in the future on, on other podcasts as it relates to cholesterol. But um, when you say preventive in this case, I mean, what are your thoughts on cholesterol and how do you, you know, why, why, did, why do they automatically prescribe? So um, my thoughts are, Unfortunately, not mainstream, um, but I think that they're accurate that, you know, cholesterol itself is, is, is healthy and good. And it's not cholesterol that causes disease, it's inflammation. And, um, you know, cholesterol is healthy. It makes our hormones. It, um, you know, our brain is mostly fat and cholesterol. And so, you know, it's, and, you know, I think finally decades later, the, the, the big organizations are, are finally starting to admit they were wrong for decades um, but still the average, I think, physician looks at the cholesterol, looks at the reference range and says, and treats, you know, treats patients by numbers. And that's, that's what I tell my patients is, you know, you're not a number, you're a patient. And, you know, I don't care about the reference ranges, they're averages, and they have nothing to do with your health often. Um, but that, um, you know, we're going to decide if you need more aggressive treatment based on more important things than cholesterol based on vascular inflammation, based on, you know, subclinical disease that we can find, you know, evidence that you're at risk for forming, you know, atherosclerosis. And if you're not at risk, I don't care if your LDL is 240. You know, I have people that come to see me because of high cholesterol and don't, and, you know, a lot of my um, cardiovascular patients specifically seek me out because they say, you know, I don't want to go on a statin and my doctor wants to put me on one. Do I need one? And in there are cases where I think people do need statins in certain circumstances, um, but that that shouldn't be kind of just the, the knee jerk reaction as your, your LDL is above 160, you know, you need to take this pill. Right. Tyler, I mean, it seems like Dr. Bovet's experience was similar to, to Dr. Brandon's, um, you know, he was in OBGYN and it, it became a numbers, you know, game over time as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and now he's obviously has the ability to spend a lot more time with patients uh, at Optimal Bio at this point. Uh, so it seems like I'm joking here when I say this, but with Christina's philosophy and, and Greg's philosophy, it should be a pretty good match for our patients. I mean, I would, I think so. I hope so. That's why we wanted Dr. Bovey to come join our team. And we're so um, thankful and happy and excited to see what the future holds with both of them um, together, putting their minds together, but completely like he, the thing about him is for all that know him, he always spent a lot of time with doctors. Uh, I mean, with his patients because he owned his own practice and, but it was going up like toward the end of being an OB, he was going up against the insurance companies right. and, you know, the money coming in because it really kills me being the daughter of a doctor when people talk about healthcare and doctors making all this money and it's the patient that, you know, doesn't, is the one that's getting ripped off. And I'm like, actually it's the patient and the the doctor. The only one that's winning are insurance companies. And, and you don't ever want your doctor cutting you open, worrying about his paycheck. So I really think, you know, that could go a huge thing of how the healthcare system can, uh, should be redone. But like we were talking about, you know, patient focus should always be number one. And like uh, Dr. Bovey said, learning their history, learning them, giving them the education 
because like she said, what Optimal Bio believes, what Dr. Brandon, Kristen, our PA, we're preventative healthcare and we want, we want our patients not to get sick or if they do, they'll be the best health they can to fight right. whatever yeah. sickness they may have. So it's funny you say that um, as far as insurance companies are concerned back when I had to practice that way, you know, that we researched when I went to, um, to not accepting insurance, it was a huge decision because, you know, I was, I had a really busy cardiology practice. Um, and, you know, and when we did the research, we realized that, you know, a huge chunk of the income was basically just to, to, to pay, to submit claims and to track down claims and to proper documentation for the insurance companies. It had nothing to do with patient care and patients just at, you know, initially they, they don't understand that. They think that they, they need to use their insurance to pay for good health care. And I'm like, you're not getting good health care using your insurance. And so we researched it for, you know, a long time before we decided to, um, to, to use a direct pay model where, um, you know, it's just us and the patient. And, you know, I'm working for the patient. I'm not working for anyone else. They get, you know, 100% of me. They're not, I'm not having to just to get paid click off boxes and generate this note that means nothing. Um, and if another provider gets it, it's, you know, it's all about documentation. <laughs> exactly. I always joke, but I'm also completely serious. If we ever accepted insurance, I would never work at Optimal Bio because like you said, it's just so much time, a lot of money and it has nothing to do with the patient care. And um, a few, I think like someone the other day was talking about health, like insurance pay doctors and cash pay doctors. Cash pay doctors is not, cause you know, usually people will Google what, uh, what doctor to accept my insurance plan, right? Because if you're paying for it, it makes sense. But so those doctors, I'm not saying those are all bad doctors, there's great doctors everywhere, will always probably much, you know, stay in practice. But cash pay doctors, if you're not good, you're not going to grow because right. people are choosing to, um, to see you. And I also think, like you said, it's now it's between you and the patient, that relationship on so many different levels and working with them and they and then patients, you know, my at first like, wait, you don't accept insurance. And you kind of explain it and then you know, give them all the costs up front and it's transparent and it really is a better working relationship. And I think in every, yeah, no, and across the board, we've had all our patients have been, you know, really happy with the experience that they see that they're getting better care. Completely. I, and we're keeping them healthy. So they're not having to spend all that extra money on medications and, you know, imaging studies. And yes, I always talk about that. I'm like, because people might be like, oh, that's expensive. I'm like, but is it? Because if, yeah, like you said, if you're healthy, you're not going to be hopefully get, you know, on prescriptions or different illnesses and hospitals, what have you. And I I really do believe healthcare is going to change or really go to that cash pay system. I think that's what people are looking for because I believe people are looking for that preventative type of healthcare, that whole body approach. Right. So, Christina, you get into the preventive. cardiology, which then leads you into hormones. Mm -hmm. And how did that all come about? So that came about probably six or seven years ago. So I became focused, you know, as you probably um, would expect, a lot of my pure cardiology patients that had were coming to me because they had disease already. Um, We weren't we weren't catching them to prevent it. Um, They, you know, had the traditional risk factors that caused them to get disease. So you know, they had, you know, they were overweight, they had diabetes, they had high blood pressure. And, um, and so they all needed to become healthier. And I, you know, came to the realization pretty quickly that 
I really wasn't helping them. Um, you know, one of the things that drew me to cardiology was, you know, I like physiology and, and the technology of the field. But if you look at the field, you know, the technology has advanced and the treatments, but it's really still all treating symptoms of disease so that, you know, yes, we can, you know, people are surviving heart attacks, you know, and so the mortality rate has decreased um, tremendously over the past few decades, but the incidence of disease we're not having any impact on um, and it's because our, our population's unhealthy. And so to make an impact on actually helping people, I, you know, I felt like I was just as a traditional cardiologist writing prescriptions, you have high blood pressure here, take this, here's your cholesterol pill, here's your diabetes pill. And, um, and they weren't getting better. You know, they were actually, a lot of the treatments were making them more unhealthy and, and they didn't realize it. Their doctors don't realize it often. Um, and, um, and they're, they're continuing to have progressive disease. You know, I explained to patients cause they think that, you know, they have their stents and they're treated. And I'm like, no, all they did was squish the plaque against the wall. And, um, you know, it's still there and you have it other places and you can get your stent blocked up again, which we see all the time. And, um, and so I realized that, you know, weight loss was going to be the biggest thing for a huge thing for my patients. So I started researching different, you know, and I've tried pretty much, you know, over the years I had, you know, had three kids fluctuated weight by, you know, probably 40 pounds up to, and, um, you know, at one point wasn't the healthiest. And, um, so I tried everything to, to find the right you know, way for my patients to lose weight. So I started with a, um, adding a medically supervised weight loss program to, to, to the cardiology patients so that I could help them. Um, and then was very successful with that. So I, I, for the first time, I actually felt like I was making an impact um, and able to take them off medicines. And, you know, I saw people, you know, literally come off three diabetes pills and blood pressure pills and cholesterol pills, like five medicines gone. And um, felt, and the biggest thing is they feel better. You know, they have more energy, their knees hurt less, they have less brain fog, things that you wouldn't think um, by just, you know, making them healthier. Um, and so the weight loss started. And then I, um, that was kind of just a natural transition to, to bioidentical hormone therapy. It, it does the same thing. And it's for that, it's also about really preventing disease, um, decreasing inflammation. There's tons of cardiovascular data for, um, for preventing um, and decreasing cardiovascular events and mortality um, so that it was just a natural kind of extension for, for my patients. When you were recommending weight loss, what, what type of diet um, you know, do you believe in and, and prescribe? Like, I think a little bit it's individual, but that um, I've had the most success. Um, and a lot of it depends on the patient's goals. Um, you know, we've had a lot of success doing um, ketogenic diets, not necessarily high saturated fat ketogenic diets, but just, and I think it's really depending on the person and their own kind of medical problems, but um, so mostly ketogenic diets, but probably overall kind of, I focus on low carb diets and what's going to work best for the patient long-term. And, and I tell people, you know, I don't even like to call it a diet mm -hmm. because it's, it's not going to work if it's a diet that, you know, every, you know, and I, and I'm very honest and I say, you know, I could put you on an all fat or an all protein or all, you know, carb diet and you can lose weight, yeah. <laughs> um, but you're going to put it back on when you go off the diet and you're also not going to necessarily be healthy on it. So my main goals are, you know, to, to get them into something they can transition to long-term. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that depends on their lifestyle and, you know, some certain things with their health um, and something that um, uh, is going to, 
be anti-inflammatory for them, especially if they have heart risks. And so I think that's where kind of, for me, the low carb comes in, um, that most people do much better on a low carb diet with, you know, not refined grains and, um, and limiting all trans fats. Cause that's all just inflammation and uh, insulin resistance. And I, I focus a lot with my patients on insulin resistance, um, as you know, a cause for disease. And so it's one of the things that causes vascular inflammation and leads to plaque formation. So, um, so that the, I think it's mostly low carb for me, but that you know, everybody I think is different. And the, and the genetics, your genetics are going to interplay into it um, so that some people, you know, may not do well on keto um, and need more carbs and, and they'll figure that out on their own. You can help them figure it out, but they'll, they'll tell you that their bodies will tell you that how they respond. Yeah. It's kind of a similar thing that um, Dr. Brandon does at Optimal Bio and Tyler does with the, the wellness practice. Do you want to talk about that, Tyler? Yeah, I would love to. And completely what you said about a diet, we always, that's what we call it a wellness program, not fat loss, you know, weight loss, because we want it, the principles and the foundations so that they can take it and they're not going to lose 10, 20 pounds and then not know the right foods to eat, gain it back. Or like you said, yes, you could be on any type of diet and lose weight if your calories are restricted, but that's only going to be for a time, you know, period of time and you're not healthy. So mm. Um, same type of thing. And going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, it's all about education. And so I created a wellness guide and basically you can just take it to the grocery store and it's just different foods, eat different brands, because I'm not going to tell someone never to eat a cookie, but if you're going to grab a cookie, what are the best less process, less inflammation, because like you said, inflammation is the root cause of every disease, depression, anxiety. So it's like, okay, let's, you know, here are the foundations. This is, you know, that whole foods type of um, approach. And again, yes, I fully believe low carb as well. And like you said, you can do the same foundations and principles for everyone. Cause I think those are key. Right. To yeah. So, but we are all so different. And like you said, your body's going to realize it. Like I, you know, have played with around with my diet and nutrition and seeing what works best, what not. And I know for, I'm someone that really can't process fat. So like, I'm never going to be on a keto diet. I'm not going right. to be um, high carb, obviously, but I've realized I used to have 50 grams of carbs or less because that's what I thought I needed. And I realized, wait, I don't. So all to say completely like the keto low carb foundations for sure that whole foods and then working with the patient to see what works best for them, their lifestyle. So it is a lifestyle. It's not like, I don't want them to come back in a year to start over. Of course, we'd be more than happy to help them, but it really plays. I want them to be happy. I want them to it to be easy. And that's why I try to tell people because there's so much information out there. It's like, what do I eat? And it's like, okay, let's just go to the foundation. And, and then honestly, it's less stress of what you should eat because you know, and then your body will feel good. And you don't want, you're not going to grab those Doritos because your body will feel sick mm, within right. two minutes of eating it. So speaking of food, uh, well, let's go there later on. Um, I guess the question I have, hormones obviously became a natural progression, uh, you know, in terms of your treating, your treating patients and you settled obviously on the pellet, you know, over, um, other applications. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you believe the pellet is more efficacious than, than some of the other applications? Um, like 40 years of research. <laughs> <laughs> um, data. So I mean, it's always surprises people when I tell them pellets have been around for over 40 years. 
Um, I think it's even longer than now. Now I think like maybe the 1940s. They yeah, it wasn't um, like 1938. Yeah, so they've been around forever. Um, you know, I think the most obviously because they're bioidentical, and I have a, a big discussion with with um, patients about what bioidentical means, um, and that you know you can't really for most hormones take there are no oral forms of bioidentical hormones. Um, so that's a big deal, you know, and I, so we always talk about the difference between, you know, oral and synthetic hormones that get metabolized through the liver versus bioidentical, which, you know, you can do topicals, but topical or subcutaneous pellets, um, and that they're like apples and oranges that, you know, different side effects, different health benefits that, you know, one increases heart disease, one, you know, decreases it, one can increase breast cancer, one, you know, bioidentical decreases it, um, so that, you know, they're, they're truly, different entities um, and that, you know, all the negative, you know, hype out there previously for hormones is related to, to synthetic forms and to oral forms of, of hormones. And, you know, a lot of women don't know that. Um, and, you know, they're on, you know, and when I tell them that, you know, oral estrogen increases their cholesterol, they look at me like, what? <laughs> and like, or oral estrogen increases your clotting risk <laughs> or your stroke risk. Um, and we know the same about synthetic progestin. So, and, you know, in my mind, there's no question that it has to be bioidentical. Um, and then as far as the root of delivery, the pellets just physiologically are far more superior as far as just replicating what your body does as far as, um, the other big thing for me is achieving. So I tell patients, you know, there's two reasons for hormone um, optimization. Um, one is all the phenomenal symptom benefits you're going to have, um, and that alone should is it many people's reason. But the other is all the huge health benefits, mm -hmm. and um, and they're equally or even more important to me. So you know, the brain protection, the heart protection, the breast and prostate protection, and to achieve those, you have to have adequate serum levels, and you want consistent serum levels. And so that's why you know I tell people you know I and I show them you know pharmacokinetics of like an injection for a man for testosterone, and this is what happens to your testosterone you know after you inject, inject it. It's not time released. It kind of just your level goes up. And I've checked women come to me on creams, testosterone creams, and they'll get their blood test and, you know, the level will be seven or 800. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, and then sometimes it's, and then women on creams will have undetectable estrogen levels. And, you know, and I tell them, you know, that that's the difference between pellets and creams. Your, your skin's meant to be a barrier. Um, it, it's meant to keep things out. And, you know, if, if you have a rash, I'm going to give you a steroid cream uh, locally um, if I want to avoid the systemic effects of the, the steroids, but if you have a really bad rash and I want it to go everywhere, I'm going to give you something that is systemic and, you know, the pellets reproducible, you know, levels, nice, consistent levels for, you know, many months. And then, you know, and obviously the ease of use, but I think the biggest thing is the health benefits. We had a patient, um, a male patient that was on bioidentical creams and his levels were in the goal range. And so Greg was like, you're in the goal range, like you're good. You don't, you know, you don't need to switch. And he's like, I want to switch. Like, I really want to see, cause he's also in the medical field. He's like, I want to see if I feel different. Cause if my levels are in the goal range, like let's see the difference. He changed the pellets night and day. So even though his levels were in the mm -hmm. goal range, he's like, this is incredible. And so now he's on pellets and it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. And you'll also see even, and it's minor, but different side effects, like less side effects with subcutaneous pellets because of the topical and um, being administered topically, you, you know, you activate other, the enzymes that um, 
for like male pattern baldness that that gets, you know, and for extra hair and oily skin and acne that those enzymes live in the skin um, and the hair follicles. So if you're, you know, rubbing it into the hair follicles, activating those enzymes throughout your body. And so you'll actually see more hair loss and for men and even women that have, you know, are prone to um, uh, androgenic alopecia. And with creams, you can't be next to people or your yes. pets because they can rub off on them. So Christina, you also treat thyroid and adrenal as well. Is that correct? I do. Um, we've done a lot of thyroid and I'm just, um, I um, have started to get into focusing on adrenals as well. So, um, you know, I think, and in that they're all, you know, they're all connected. So, you know, you're, I, I tell people, you know, if we don't fix your testosterone affects your thyroid, your adrenals affect your thyroid so that you can't just fix one without focusing on all of them. They're going to, they're going to affect each other so that when I put you on, you know, if I give you testosterone or estradiol, it's going to actually affect sometimes, you know, how much thyroid replacement you need. Um, so they're all kind of very intricately re related and they, and they all cause similar symptoms. So you have someone coming with fatigue and, you know, I tell them, you know, we also need to address your thyroid, your adrenal, your nutrition. You know, if, if your vitamin D level is 20 and you're come in and want to get pellet therapy, if we don't fix that too, you know, you're not going to get the full benefits of the pellet therapy so that it's really kind of a whole wellness approach and that everything interacts. If we don't fix your nutrition or your inflammation. Exactly. We always say, yes, hormones are key, but if you get pellets and then go eat McDonald's, really not going to get the full benefits and with vitamin D since it's a hormone helps your body, you know, produce your testosterone and estrogen. It's all connected. So what's the, what's your favorite part about being a doctor? Um, the corny answer, <laughs> helping to, I mean, I really like and love helping people and, and, you know, improving their health, that that's something that, you know, previously, as I mentioned, I felt like I wasn't doing. Um, at all. I wasn't having an impact on their, their longevity. I wasn't having an impact on their quality of life. And so those two things, I think quality of life, kind of health span, not just the lifespan. And then, you know, the longevity, who doesn't want to be here to see their, their great grandchildren. So speaking of longevity, you mentioned yesterday to me that you had some tests taken for your longevity, <laughs> and it told you that you needed to drink more for your longevity. So one, what test was that? And two, why drinking will help and any specific drinks or alcohol? Cause I think that is fascinating. So um, I recently um, ha have offered to my patients and um, I uh, did mine first, some epigenetic um, DNA testing. And so you, you've probably heard of like the Horvath clock mm -hmm. is um, one of the first um, tests where they've actually shown it's a very, very accurate um, assessment of your biologic age versus your chronologic age. Um, and it looks at the, the DNA methylation sites throughout your body. Um, and, you know, you, you're constantly, you know, what I tell people is, you know, that the ep, what's considered the epigenetics matters way more than your, your genes mm -hmm. um, because you're constantly turning genes on and off based on things you eat and pollution and smoking and your diet. And so just because you have a gene for something, you know, a lot of people do the, the, the 23andMe DNA testing, it doesn't mean it's going to produce disease. Um, and a lot of people think, oh my gosh, you know, my DNA testing says this, this is what's going to happen. And I'm like, no, you have complete control over that. That's what, like, and that's why we do preventative medicine. 
Um, my husband carries the APO3-4 gene, which is, you know, increases your risk of Alzheimer's. Does it mean you're going to get Alzheimer's? No. And, you know, and many people, and I believe that you can reverse Alzheimer's and prevent it completely. Um, so the epigenetic testing, I think, is, is, is going to be crucial. Um, that they've shown now that, um, you know, the first study, I think, was in 2019, that you can actually reverse your biologic age um, by doing certain things. Um, one of the things that's been tested is hormones. Um, mm -hmm. So optimizing your hormones has been one of the few things that have, have been shown to, to actually literally reverse your, your age. And, you know, we used to not think that you could, but you, now we have the science showing you can reverse your age. So, um, but it also looks, so it looks at all that. Um, it compiles all the data. So it's, it's extensive kind of questionnaires mm -hmm. where you answer, you know, all these questions about your nutrition and the supplements you take and your diet and whether you fast and how long you fast and, you know, all this stuff where we know that there's science that, um, that intricately, intricately um, works with your DNA to mm -hmm. determine your, how you're going to age. And so for me, I, I actually did quite well on the test because I've been doing a lot of, um, you know, I have done a lot of research on things that can keep me healthier and younger and longer, um, free of disease. So a lot of the stuff I was already doing, but one of the negative things I scored negative on was that, um, that I don't drink enough alcohol. <laughs> Um, and I do, I, I enjoy, you know, it's, it's funny because I probably, when I um, lost weight, you know, 10 years ago, that was one of the ways where, you know, alcohol is empty calories. So it's right. easy to put weight on with extra alcohol because it's in addition to your meal. Yep. Um, and so that was the first thing, you know, my PCP who's my best friend said, you know, just cut out the, the, the half bottle or third bottle, you know, quarter wine that you eat, drink with your husband every night. And, um, and I easily, you know, if you tell that to somebody, they easily take weight off. Right. But there are a lot of health benefits of, of alcohol. Um, and so a lot of there's still a lot of research going on about it, but that they know that it affects the genes and your, your aging genes and that um, that alcohol in moderation um, is actually healthy for you and, um, and, and increases your longevity. I get that tested. I'll throw a bio. Right. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to add it back without adding calories. So couple, yeah, smart ones. <laughs> couple rapid fire uh, questions. Um, you know, just say whatever comes off the top of your head. Favorite food? Pasta, <laughs> which I avoid. <laughs> I'm half Italian. Okay, fair enough. At least you're honest about it. I hardly uh, ever eat it, but and I found really good um, replacements. <laughs> Are you a white rosé or red wine drinker? Hundred mm. percent red. Favorite I don't form even, of exercise. Come to my house, and there isn't any other. other. Um, not a little uh, rosé, though. Uh, I'll drink it. <laughs> it's not preferred. Uh, I like um, weightlifting. You're more of a machine weightlifter, or more of a dumbbell free weightlifter. Um, resistance, body weight, and uh, free weights. Worst form of exercise for you. Running. <laughs> Jim loves running. Well, I don't love it, but I, I like doing it, yes. I um, enjoy it. Depends on what the temperature is outside. <laughs> <clears throat> Favorite book? Ooh. Right now, it's um, uh, The Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. Do you I actually read that for fun, or would you uh, read novels yes, for fun? that was my, beach, my most recent beach read that I haven't finished since All I got right. back to work. I need Fair that. Uh, Favorite breakfast food? 
I don't eat breakfast. But if I do on weekends, we eat breakfast. Um, we have eggs and um, chicken sausage or bacon. Uh, I assume your favorite type of restaurant would be Italian? Um, yeah, I like everything. Indian, Thai, okay. ethnic, something ethnic. Very good. So we always end with five takeaways um, where, you know, our guests give the listeners, you know, five pieces of advice or things they've learned throughout their life that they'd like to share with other people. Um, we'll have Tyler go first because you can then learn from Tyler and then you can, you can, you can end us. Okay. You can learn or learn not what to say, whatever <laughs> you prefer. Um, so I always use this staple one. So number one, work out in the morning. Um, so many benefits. You don't forget it. You don't just not end the day with it. Uh, number two, get outside, enjoy the sun. So many health benefits with the sun. Uh, number three, um, do something fun. I feel like sometimes, including myself, you can just get so caught up in the day and you don't think like you just need a moment, but just go, go walk outside, go do something, just a change of scenery. Um, four, eat healthy. Uh, I tell this to everyone. So people probably get really annoyed with me, but food is medicine. So just be aware that whatever you're eating is affecting your body, your mind. Mm -hmm. And number five, I would say, hang out with friends, go do something this weekend. Okay. So, um, well, I don't have mine prepared. So <laughs> me I didn't either. <laughs> um, so I would say number one is that we should all be um, focusing on our health and that knowing that we can prevent disease and that um, we can have a huge, I think so many patients come to you and say, you know, well, I have no control over that um, when that's not true. So that, you know, we should be proactive in, in our health and that we can, if you do that, you can prevent most disease. So that's the first one. Um, number two is, um, I think eating, I would agree with you eating well, eating a whole, to me, eating just a whole foods diet and cutting out processed junk. Yeah, everybody once in a while likes it, but like you, you know, if, you know, I'll crave pizza once in a while and then I'll have it and feel awful for, you know, the whole night. Right. It's like, cool. <laughs> um, so really kind of cutting out, you know, and I tell people just eat like your ancestors ate, um, whole foods. Um, so that'd be the second one. Um, the third one would be, um, to do some fasting for many reasons, both emotionally, emotional health, I think for the health benefits, for the energy benefits, for the longevity benefits, there's so many reasons to fast and there's so much science behind it. So that would be a big one. Um, and the next one would be, I think that was three, four would be um, love. So that should be, um, to me, that's love makes the world go round. So mm -hmm. that, um, that, that should be a, you know, you should, you should find what you love or who you love and, and make that a priority, whatever that is. And the last one would be kind of along those lines um, would be to, um, I guess the motto, um, uh, live, you know, live, work to live, not live to work. Um, that, you know, that was my old life, but that, you know, number one, love what you do so that your, your job isn't work. And that you really should, you know, it's not about the money. You should be, you know, working so you can live um, and enjoy your life too. All great pieces of advice. Thank you. 
Well, we're looking forward to having you as part of the Optimal Bio family. And um, hopefully some of you that are listening will experience uh, uh, your interactions with Christina. And um, Christina, we thank you for joining us today. Have a great weekend. And we hope to see you soon. Okay. Take care. Thank you. See you guys. Have a good weekend. Bye. You too.